You're listening to Mike and Kristen. The podcast. I'm Mike, a musician, writer, and producer. And I'm Kristen, a painter, writer, and designer. Our show is all about following dreams, taking chances, and what life as an artist is really about. Together, we bring you weekly guest interviews and thought-provoking conversations. Let's go! Hello, everybody. What is going on? We are here. We are back in our house, in our studio. We have spent six days or seven days evacuated from the house, but we're safe. Our house is safe. George came home. Yes. When George came home, that's when we really felt like we could relax, enjoy being back from Togetherland to Magicland. Yeah. The uh, the evacuation lifted. We came home, but George wasn't home, and we were, yeah, we were, you could, you can't really relax. Like We were certainly grateful that we could be back in our home and that it was safe. Yeah. We were very fortunate that it came so close, and as of today, there's certainly a number of people still displaced and firefighters still out working their, yeah. their guts out, so our our thoughts are first and foremost with them, and, and all of Nova Scotia, we we're not the only ones who are feeling this emotion firsthand just because we were in the middle of it. It's, it's a province wide grieving and emotional experience. Yeah. It's been a a wild and surreal little while. And, and then the people down in uh, Shelburne too, it's a completely different fire, but that's um, a massive fire. Record setting wildfire for Nova Scotia. So yeah, it's been How are a, you feeling now? How are you feeling a couple of days of being home and processing a little bit? Uh I guess well, I guess grateful for like all the things you said that no damage to our house other than all the the freezer and fridge stuff, but We had a lot of fish in our freezer, guys. Crab. And the power was out for a full week. So if you want to know what a fish plant coupled with a rotten garbage truck smells like, that's what our house was for a couple of days. But Mike, <laughs> I went out and did some errands and took my time while Mike cleaned out just the grossest. That would have been for me the grossest ex- experience imaginable. <laughs> like I, that doesn't even bother me at all. And you were completely all. unfazed. You put on a podcast and just tackled it, yeah. elbow deep, and just rotting everything. Uh, yeah, whatever. Like for me, that's the most romantic thing you could possibly do for me ever <laughs> in my life. <laughs> it, it wasn't that bad. That's my love language. Do not make me touch anything in that fridge. It was gross. Yeah, I don't I don't mind doing that for whatever reason. But our I mean, we are clean slate. There is not even that wilted scrap of lettuce that gets stuck in between the drawers that's in yeah. most people's fridges. Like she's empty. Yeah, there's not much food in there now. Yeah. But they're the government's doing, I believe, some subsidies or through the Red Cross, I should 500 say. Five hundred bucks we're gonna get. Yeah, so we'll go to Costco and replenish. Yeah, we'll stock up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're very lucky, and yeah, I guess ultimately I, I feel really bad for the people who lost their homes, first and foremost. Like, that is just, like, hard to imagine, and 
Some people lost their homes with their pets inside. Yeah, like that's the worst thing. Can't even think about it. There's just it's so it's so heartbreaking. There's no words for it really when tragedy like that happens. And we released an episode last week that explained what our experience was like. We recorded that uh, at the church where we were staying, so it's kind of echoey and on our cell phone. But it, it gives a real reality check i guess it's it's such a raw episode about where we were at that time and just the impact it has on your physical and mental health i feel like today is the first day where i'm kind of coming around again like i had a really good night's sleep last night and we ate some i had a nice healthy smoothie for breakfast and did more of a workout than i've been able to do all of those things matter which we talk about in today's episode yeah. with our with our amazing, super kind guest, Sarah Kelly. Sarah does business mentorship, uh, among other things that we talk about. But she does it from this place of love and uh, like heart led is how she describes it. Yeah. And and this being our first guest back in the studio after just an insane week, we were really happy it was somebody who we knew would show up with just a lot of empathy and at ease. And she was a perfect guest to to interview this week, I think. Yeah, very knowledgeable and informative. And what all this information she's given will, will help a lot of people who are small business owners trying to navigate this tricky world we live in. And yeah, she really focuses on what's the passionate things that got you into that small business in the first place are and what 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 made you want to be someone who was putting that out there to the world and and really kind of getting getting at the root of your core values and focusing on that it's easy to lose sight of that and a lot of her work is with creative people like us and our our listeners and network she reminds you of why you made this choice in the first place. Yeah. And she's been through this herself. So she's speaking from a really informed background and perspective and can relate to the clientele that she's working with. Yeah, you know, she she's great. And uh, yeah, let's just dive in. Episode one, back from the fires, <laughs> the evacuation. But in total, what number are we on? I think we're 64. 64 yeah. Mm -hmm. And this is crazy. Yeah, well, thanks. Really, we also have to give a huge, huge thank you to everyone who was there for us this week, uh, just lending your your love, people showing up with food and special treats and surprises. It made all the difference in our mental health, especially getting yeah. through this this time. So many people looking out for us was was very meaningful. Yeah, we felt really cared for. So here, here we go. Let's dive into this this beautiful chat with Sarah Kelly. Sarah Kelly, folks. Here you go. Yeah, I ended up grabbing like a sequined Barstar shirt that yes. I probably haven't worn in 20 years. Love it. And got Mike a Lick a Chick t-shirt. <laughs> That business in Cape Red. I, I wear that skin to, tight. I wear that to bed, but I, it was it was in with the, my good clothes when mm -hmm. you got it. Grabbed your suit. Yeah. yeah, the suit is a custom suit, so it felt like yes. There's a there's a puma on the inside. Love it. I remember when it was getting getting it made. I had to make every decision. Okay, the buttons look like this. The mm -hmm. every part, and then she's like, "What do you want on the inside?" I'm like. Oh, 
I don't know, what are my options? And it was just all patterns. And there was one option to have this giant puma. And I'm like, I think that's I perfect. have to do that. <laughs> that's worth holding on to. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. But I think most people have thought about if you were in that scenario, mm-hmm. what you would do. And, yeah. and now especially would have gone through that exercise. Like, is there anything that stands out to you that you would have to grab? Um. One of the first things was all my, like, crafting supplies. <laughs> yeah. Like, if I have nothing else, I need my creative outlets yes. for my sanity. So that was one thing that was at the top that of my list. That came to mind. Yeah. Do you have a room? Do you have a creation I station do. in your yes. house? Yeah. yeah. So I have my own office, and my office closet is just, like, a craft supply hoarding mm-hmm. space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of many years What's of What's your collection. go-to craft? So it varies. Right now it's embroidery. Mm. Like I have a denim jacket I've been working on for like two years that I've just been embroidering and like little patches and I'll attach those. Um, And jewelry, of course. I dabble in a lot of jewelry creation. I've noticed you have multiple businesses essentially or revenue Mm -hmm. streams or however you want to want to frame it. Where did this all begin? Uh, The entrepreneurship journey. I feel like most people who are creatives or business owners and I mean this is my story anyway um but it started when I was young like Mm -hmm. I have been creating things since I can remember and I would host little jewelry sales and little craft sales when I was younger I remember in grade three making a big batch of friendship bracelets and bring them to school, selling them for 50 cents. And it was just something that always came. Buying all your friends. Yes, 100%. (laughs) And now when I, like understanding profit margins, I could have priced them a little bit better. But um, (laughs) no, it's just always come very natural to me. And I know there's a lot of people, especially creatives, who, you know, are don't love the sales side of things. But that's something that's always come really natural to me. And I never feel like I'm selling things. I'm just sharing the things that I love and make. And, you know, if people buy them, great. Putting a price on your art is very difficult, Mm -hmm. though. That's something I've always struggled with. And I don't know, East Coasters, for some reason, have this mentality that they feel they're maybe not worth as much as they truly are. And... Like someone's like, how much does it cost for a show? And like, oh, gee. And you're trying to think of the, and rather than just coming out with a straight number, you're like, well. Uh, yeah, you're justifying you're, every yeah, detail yeah, of like, it. I, I don't know why that is the case, but most people I know with businesses in this area are are that way. And that's not something you struggle with yourself? You. I mean, I shouldn't say I never struggle yeah. with it. Um, you know, pricing is something sort of in and of itself and I think especially when your business as creatives you you are interwoven into your business whether you want to be or not like you and your business are very connected and so I think a lot of people struggle with putting a price on that because you know it's such a deep part of themselves um but I think one thing that helps is having sort of like certain metrics in place and you know if this is a show that I've done before and this is what I've charged and, you know, seeing what other people are charging and, you know, having certain mm-hmm. examples that you can go back to sort of like the black and white facts that yeah. take that emotional aspect out of it. Then it helps with that. It's that a little pricing. bit easier maybe in the 
music industry, like a CD, for example, would have more of a market value that's consistent? Physical things Physical do things. for sure. Yeah. Like a vinyl is typically this much or a, a hoodie is this much. And we still, we we price for some reason our, our t-shirts and the, the physical things we make lower because oftentimes you do sell a lot more doing that. Yeah. And that's kind of the, even pricing a show, um, you can charge $30 and maybe get X amount of people. Or if you charge 20, are you going to get more people in and make more in the end? Like that's, that's kind of a, a definitely something that I know a lot of artists, musicians specifically struggle with trying to figure out how much they're, they're worth. And, and it does bounce around like certain venues, like, okay, you always charge $30 there. But if I'm going to this spot, maybe it makes more sense to charge less. And mm-hmm. it is a little confusing and no <laughs> defined template to follow. Yeah, I think there's a lot of trial and error that comes yeah. into play too. And, you know, pricing something and maybe you price it on the lower end and it sells, but you're like, oh, that doesn't really feel good to sell it at that price. Like I think the energy and the output that went into that doesn't match what I'm being compensated for it. And then sort of on the flip side, maybe if you price something a little bit higher and it's not moving. So I do think you kind of just have to sometimes pick a number, try it out, and then kind of go from there. And how much are your friendship bracelets now? Um, They're (laughs) on average $60. There you go. (laughs) So yes, they have increased over the years. Good for you. Yeah. (laughs) Were your parents entrepreneurial with you having embody that spirit at such a young age where were you kind of looking to for this yeah so my mom always encouraged my creative and sort of entrepreneurial pursuits and you know we would go to these craft shows and I'd say I want to do a craft show so then she'd help me set it up Um, and they were entrepreneurial so when I was Mm -hmm. younger they owned an ice cream shop in Mm -hmm. Toronto Best and business I, ever for your parents to own. <laughs> yes. I don't really remember it because I think I was quite young when they ended up selling it. Um, but yeah, throughout pretty much my whole life, my dad has always had certain businesses on the side or trying new things on the side. And that's something I always saw that he wasn't afraid mm. to try new things. And sometimes they would work and sometimes they wouldn't. And so I think that really gave me the permission to try different things because like you said I have had a number of businesses over the years right now I have two businesses and that feels good enough for now my jewelry business and then my business mentorship business and can you tell us a little bit more about that what's your elevator pitch for your mentorship program and we'll we'll get into the details but we'll introduce it to the audience first yeah so I like to call myself a heart-based business mentor And my sort of sweet spot is helping business owners design and structure their business around their joy, around their core values, and the things that light them up. And I like to say that I help people design businesses that not only look good on the outside, so not only, you know, perform and are, you know, generating sales, but also feel good on the inside and really give you that sense of fulfillment and inner peace and all those things. What's a way you define someone's core values? Because I think everyone at heart, if there's a questionnaire, can figure out what they are. But just if someone asks me on the spot, I'm like, uh, I, I don't know if I would 100% know. Yeah. And I think it varies. And I think yeah. you can have different values for sort of different areas of your life. So, you know, my personal values might be different from my business values and 
things like that. But I tend to ask people, like, what matters most to you? You know, when you jump out of bed in the morning, what makes you excited to jump out of bed? You know, if you're leaving your house because there's, you know, an evacuation order, like, what are the things that matter most? They're typically not things, but they're, you know, people or experiences. This is an exercise she takes people through. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Get out! Exactly. (laughs) Add it in there now. Um, So, yeah, those things that at the end of the day matter most that, you know, if you could only pick a certain amount of things and this was how the rest of your life was going to look, what would those things look like? So, for example, for me, you know, family, relationships, creativity, integrity, personal fulfillment, those are some of my core values. And and I think they change throughout our lives and, you know, even within a year sometimes. How important is time to you? Mm. Yeah, time is everything to me. So, and I guess kind of going back to when I started my first business, like my real first business, my jewelry, Mm -hmm. back in 2008, I was working a full-time job at the time for an airline. And I was working in the office. I started as a flight attendant and then ended up working my way up the corporate ladder to a point where I was working in the office nine to five. And I, like at 22 years old, knew that I could not, you know, sit in an office from nine to five, working on things that didn't inspire me, didn't excite me. And I just craved that freedom and flexibility and time. And then once I became a mom, that was even more important to me and just being able to have that flexibility, especially when our boys were quite young. And it's funny, when I write in my gratitude journal, it's like, you know, what are the things you're thankful for? Oftentimes that freedom and flexibility, just being able to design my days and have that space are really at the top of the list. Do you find that's common for most people? Is time the biggest thing? And I'm sure some people want to have a lot of money and be able to have things. But I know probably at core, time is probably the biggest thing. Yeah, I think most of the people who are drawn to me and my work and sort of ethos, time is really important to them and just being able to, you know, design their life as to how they want to be spending their time doing things that, you know, energize them, that are fulfilling, that are creative and and all those things. And you've likely been well, you have been in the position of what I imagine a lot of your clientele might be going through, having left one life or environment or job and have transitioned into something else, which mm-hmm. also speaks to the evolution of what our values might look like. Right. So it's it's nice. You can give that real firsthand perspective and understanding of what people are coming to you looking for direction on, essentially. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And I do think that, you know, it looks different for everybody. So, you know, for me, it looks like having a job that I can or not a job, sorry, a business that I can fit into, you know, these certain pockets of time in my life and make sure, you know, after school I'm available and in the evenings I'm not having to hustle on my computer and things like that. For other people, it might just be, you know, having a couple of free days a week Mm -hmm. and maybe, you know, just having a part-time job in addition to a business because maybe the job gives them that sense of stability and security, but then they can have that creative aspect and that freedom. So I don't think that there's, you know, a one size fits all. I think it looks different for everybody. Was there 
a tipping point when you're with the airline where you're working that nine to five job where you just said, okay, I, I got to get out of here? Yeah, there was. I mean, I didn't have a great boss. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay um, to say. Yes. And say their what name their now. Name? Exactly. No. <laughs> Can we tag her in this podcast? <laughs> yeah. No. And, and I will say in a lot of aspects, she really took me under her wing. But then in a lot of other aspects, there was almost like a weird female competition mm-hmm. type thing. And I feel like, you know, anytime I was sort of you know, rising up, she would kind of make sure that she put me back in my place. And and that was really hard because I would come in and some days, you know, I wouldn't know which version of her I yeah. was getting, you know, the yeah. mentor who was going to support me and help me grow or the person who was kind of wanted to stifle my growth. So, yeah. I That f- sounds so relatable. I, I worked in politics for years mm-hmm. and I had a lot of really amazing, strong female role models They were often from the generation prior to mine, Mm -hmm. and they would have had to scrap their way to those positions. And I recognize that, but there was still, as you're describing, a lot of this just trying to find their power footing, I'll call it. Yeah. Because they they had to prove themselves so often that I I think that that, adopting that method or personality was a really hard thing to let go of. and. I see that kind of being dissolved out more so in the corporate world, but I had it was a weird kind of relationship to look up to and admire a lot of these women who had achieved goals. But I also was aware that I, if that were to happen for me in some capacity, I didn't want to get there in the same way. Absolutely. And, you know, on one side, like you said, I could see where some of this was coming from. She was the only female director, you know, in a very male dominated space, you know, dealing with, you know, mechanics and other directors. And and so I, she really did have to have a strong personality and be able to kind of stand her ground. But that was the really hard part. I never knew which version of her I would get. And I remember yeah. coming back from vacation one time and I didn't know what it was at the time, but just so much anxiety about going back to work and again, not knowing what I was walking into and and that. Yeah, the Sunday scaries kick in. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So you were doing jewelry at the time while you were with the airline. I was, and then you just said, "Screw it, I'm done." Jewelry full time? Was it like that? It was. Yeah. yeah. So I had been dabbling on the side, and any time that I had really focused on it and kind of did a pop up sale or anything like that, I always did really well. And so I thought, you know, if I put all my time into yeah. this, then I can really make something of it. And at the time, you know, websites weren't really a thing. You know, I didn't know how to get into retailers or partner with retailers. And so my main sort of outlet or vision for it was setting up at the farmer's market. Mm -hmm. I was like, I see these artists who set up at the farmer's market every weekend. That's what I'm going to do. So I was fortunate enough at the time that I was engaged to my now husband um, but my fiance at the time, and he was really supportive of it because he yeah. knew that anytime I had focused on it, that, you know, I did really well and, you know, I had a knack for it. So he, you know, was there to support me while I took that leap. And yeah. yeah. And how did that evolve into mentorship and business coaching? Just mm-hmm. years of experience behind you and you had something to give? Yes, in a nutshell. Yeah. <laughs> so with the farmer's market, um, I had tried to get into the farmer's market by emailing and filling out the online form. Nobody ever got back to me. So 
One Saturday morning, I just showed up with all my things in tow at like six o'clock in the morning and asked (laughs) who I had to speak to for a table. And that's how I ended up getting my spot there. Mm. And it was all very much trial and error. I, you know, wished that I had these business resources or people to ask, Mm. but I didn't. And at the time, online courses weren't a thing. YouTube wasn't a thing. I'd go to the library looking for you know, books on business, and they were all just so cut and dry and like make your eyes glaze over. So it was very much learning as I went. Um, And then throughout the years, I had a number of different businesses. So I was in network marketing for a few years and did really well on that while I focused on it. I went back to my jewelry business and that totally exploded because I was using Instagram mainly to market Mm. it. And I really had a knack for that Instagram marketing piece. Um, And then I realized, you know, all these people kept coming to me and asking me questions about how to do things. And I had built up such a wealth of knowledge and experience over the years that I realized I, you know, was able to help people with that. And the other side of it is that I've built businesses from two different places. So from a place of creativity and passion and excitement, but I've also built from a place of like fear and scarcity and validation and trying to keep up. And when I was able to sort of discern between those two spaces, I saw most people building from that fear scarcity place. And that's why when I decided to offer business mentorship, I decided to offer it from that heart-based place of showing people, you know, the black and white strategies of how to build businesses, but from a place that is aligned with who they are, what matters most to them, and that they can sustain over time. So that's sort of how it all came together. It's such a great closing of that gap because Mm -hmm. certainly as two creative entrepreneurs living under the same roof, we can't help ourselves. Excuse me. Like our natural state is creativity and thinking with our minds Mm -hmm. and our hearts in, in that way. But we're well aware that the business strategy piece is part of the puzzle, whether we like it or not. But as you're describing, often business advice is either, yeah, eyes glaze over or it doesn't feel quite right for the artist. Mm -hmm. How does your, what's your target audience or how, I imagine your clientele fits into this. Yeah. Same description or experience. 100%. And so it's typically, um, you know, middle-aged people Mm -hmm. who started a business because they were passionate about something, but maybe they're not super dialed into the business side of it. So what often happens is we start a business from this creative inspired place. And then all of a sudden you flip over to the complete opposite side where you're like, oh, now I really have to run this like a business. And then they lose that creative inspired excitement piece. And so it's helping them again, bridge those two worlds together. And so I say that I focus on three main areas. So intentional business planning, and that's helping people get really clear on, you know, what they're selling, how they're selling it, what their schedule looks like, what they're setting up their days like. And intentional business planning sort of covers all that. And then feel good marketing is the second sort of pillar. And that's really helping people spread the word about what they do in a way that feels natural to them. So You know, we hear a lot about social media strategies and email marketing, and that's all good. But if it's not something that you are able to sustain over time, then it's just going to be a roller coaster ride of starting and stopping. Mm -hmm. And I think that energy speaks volumes. And when you're building your business and, you know, putting yourself out there, doing it in a way that aligns with you and what you love doing and how you show up, how you enjoy showing up, you're just able to really express 
what you're doing in a different way versus, you know, following a black and white cookie cutter approach that works for somebody else. And so that feel good marketing piece is, you know, finding those outlets that work for you, helping you find ways to show up that work for you, but then doing it in an actual strategic way. So, you know, following, you know, the idea of a marketing funnel where, you know, you're having people find you, become attracted to what you do, and then guiding them on how to take the next step. And then the third piece is the systems and self-awareness. So, you know, looking at your business as a whole and saying, how can I make things easier? What can I put in place to, you know, save me time and energy? Are there things that, you know, I can put on repeat or automate? And then that self-awareness piece just really comes from checking in over time and saying, okay, this is what we're doing. What feels good? What's working? Can we dial, you know, more into that? And what's not working? What doesn't feel good? How can we scale that back? And then just continuing that motion. It's so huge now to have the the personal life be factored into some of this strategy. Mm-hmm. That has been the missing link for a number of years, I find. And we had, <clears throat> I'm sorry, I've got a horse in my throat. We had um, a guest last week who, or two weeks ago now, who was, she does recruitment and yes. job placement. And she too is really tapping into that part of the importance mm-hmm. of, because it's, it's not just a job anymore. Like we're creating lifestyles for ourselves. Yes. Uh, and I, okay, so I don't want to put you on the spot here, but I'm going to, okay. I want to ask you, Yeah. I'm opening my first business this week. Yeah. So exciting. I've been an entrepreneur for a long time. Thank you. But yeah. oh, like this is a, a new iteration, mm-hmm. we'll say, of, of the business, but mm-hmm. I feel it in myself as well. How much yeah. is that? How much do you see that relationship reflected in the business and and should it really or does that matter? I think that especially as a creative, it has to be reflected in the business because yeah. it's a part of you. You're doing it from this excited, inspired place that's born from that piece of you that sort of you're spilling out and sharing with the world. So I think that's important to embed that in there. Just like with my jewelry, you know, I'm creating these pieces that are inspired, that I love to sit down and create and pour my creativity and my inspiration into. Um, I think the part that we have to learn how to separate, which comes from experience, I think, is that piece of the sales and attaching the outcomes to our sense of worth or validation, things like that. So I think it's important to pour yourself into the business in ways that are natural to you. But then remember at the end of the day, you can't control the outcomes. All you can control is how you're showing up, what you're sharing, what you're putting out there. You can, you know, change certain strategies or directions. You have control over that. But at the end of the day, if people are buying or not, yeah, you can't go out and literally drag people into, you know, your space or your offerings, things like that. So I think that's the line. Does that make sense? It does. And leads to a question about money mindset, because mm-hmm. this is something I've been trying to learn more about. How what are your thoughts on being in alignment, feeling like you have a good sense of your own energy groundedness you're in a good space i'm feeling in the flow does the money naturally come from that or has this sort of gone too far in that direction 
Yeah, that's a good question. And I think that I think what really attracts people to our work is that passion that we exude through our work. And I'll give you an example. So when somebody is, you know, really skilled at what they do and they're really passionate, you can feel that mm. in their work. For example, you know, if there's a business mentor out there who's talking and saying one thing, but you don't see that sparkle in their eyes or they're not walking their talk, then you can feel that. And so I think, you know, when it comes to money mindset and attracting people to what we do, it's about being the most you you can be in that sense. Um, the other side of the whole money mindset thing is, I mean, I feel like there's so many different layers to it. There yeah. actually is, you know, like a scientific aspect to it. There's something called like the reticular activating system. Okay. It's a part of our brain that basically filters out information. So it filters out unnecessary information and and brings to the forefront things that are important to us. So, you know, if you're walking around saying everything sucks, I hate everything, you know, whatever, all these negative things, then it's going to adjust your world to fit that because it's filtering out everything that doesn't match that. Whereas, you know, if you're saying I'm abundant, I'm doing work that I love, I'm attracting people, then it's going to filter out things that align with that. And it's going to help present opportunities or help you notice opportunities that are out there. And then, of course, with the whole money mindset thing is there's the nervous system regulation aspect of it as well. And if you are feeling, you know, grounded and safe and secure in your body, then you are going to act in ways that are grounded and secure and safe. You're open to receiving. Whereas if you're operating from that place of scarcity and fear and anxiety, then you're going to be operating from, from that place. And you're you're not going to be, you know, attracting the same sort of energy or things mm -hmm. from, you know, one versus the other. And I think that's what happens with Again, a lot of those entrepreneurs who start from that creative inspired place because they love what they're doing. So they start out on the right foot, but then they quickly realize, oh, but this is actually a business. And then they swing so far the other way. And now they're just trying to, you know, get sales and and make the paycheck. And it's really about finding that that safe spot in the middle. And I think that's one thing that you don't often hear a lot about is having whether it's a part-time job or a bread and butter mm -hmm. offering, something that is giving you that stability piece. So then you can really pour yourself into the creative aspects, showing up in ways that, you know, are fulfilling, that you love. That was a really long-winded answer. Oh, it's a great answer. <laughs> There's a lot of layers to it. <laughs> how, how do you bring someone back who started their business as a passion and had all this energy and vibrancy mm -hmm. attached to it but then they fall into what you what you stated there, the world of trying to make the next paycheck and trying to pay their bills and they're not mm -hmm. really focused on the, the the passion side of thing. It's just putting out a product product mm -hmm. to to receive the the benefits back from that. Like how do when you recognize that's happening with someone, how do you change that? Yeah, that's a good question. And that's a lot of the people who I work with. Yeah. And so it's really bringing them back and identifying those reasons why they started their business in the first place, yeah. what they love doing, what they want their life to look like. So, you know, why did you start your business? Was it because you wanted freedom 
and flexibility? Was it because you wanted a creative outlet because you didn't want to work a nine to five for somebody else? So really identifying, again, that's where those core values sort of come in, what's most important to you. And then looking at their business and how it's performing, you know, what do your sales look like? Are you selling the things that you want to be selling? Are you selling things that you're selling because you feel like you have to, but you don't necessarily want to? And then finding those opportunities for, again, bridging that gap. So how can we structure your offerings so that they are things that you love doing, that you're excited about, the reason you started your business, but they're also going to help you generate that revenue. And sometimes, you know, that could be restructuring their offerings, changing their pricing. It could be introducing a new offering. So, you know, maybe if somebody is, let's say, for example, um, an artist and they're a painter or other sort of creative. We'll just choose that. Yes, for we'll fun. just choose that. <laughs> um, then maybe even offering a service component to their business. So maybe it's, you know, lessons or one-to-one mentorship or consulting or something like that. It can bring in an additional revenue stream that's still aligned with what they love doing, but just provide that extra little bit of cushion to give them that space to focus on their creative products and creations and all that sort of thing. I love that. Yeah, it's so smart. And like, I'll find sometimes I'll read some version of a self-help book, we'll call Mm -hmm. it. And You've read the same thing a gazillion times before, but a gazillion and one, it still kind of hits you still. Mm -hmm. So you can't be reminded of this advice enough times, I find. No. And I think nowadays there's so much information overload out there, which is a good thing on one hand, Mm -hmm. but I think it can also be a detriment on the other because we're constantly being bombarded with, I mean, there's so much available to us. And as business owners, there's so many different things that you could do that it's hard not to get pulled in a bunch of different directions and feel like you should be doing this and somebody else is having success with this, that it's really easy to get lost in all these things. And you really have to stop some time and put your blinders on and just like bring yourself back to center, Mm -hmm. regroup, you know, figure out why you started this, what you love doing, what matters most. What do you want your business to look like? And I often say, you know, you get to decide what success means to you. Just because you see somebody out there who's making, you know, maybe six figures a month selling their art, you know, is that your definition of success? Maybe it is, but maybe it's not. And you get to decide what that looks like. And do you want to be doing the same work that they're doing? Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. It's a great, like, exactly the saturation of it mm-hmm. creates confusion for me, I find, because I, I'm, I'm certainly guilty of doing exactly that, where you fa- you see somebody else that's achieving this alleged su- success in their eyes, and you think yeah. that if I just emulate that activity, then it's going to work for me. But that's that's silly. Well, and I mean, there's, you know, ways to be inspired by what other people are doing and yeah. figuring out, okay, what part of this feels inspiring to me and how can I adapt that to, you know, my way of doing things. Um, But I do think it's really easy, like you said, to get caught up in just what so many other people are doing, what we feel like we should be doing. And I think it's important to go through your social media on a regular basis and unfollow and Mm -hmm. mute anybody who is making you feel that little ping of what you're doing, you know, isn't enough or that you have to keep up because I think it's so easy to get stuck in that trap. Yeah, speaking of social media, it it has become a necessity for every business mm-hmm. owner now. And 
everyone is essentially doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. So how are how do you tell people? Maybe someone who's not that savvy. Like how, how do you tell someone to, that they can stand out? Like what are the things that they should be doing? Is it just all showcase your personality and your passion? I guess. Yeah, and I think that's a really good question, and I love that you use the word stand out because this is actually something that. A conversation I had with myself a couple months ago, I was thinking to myself, how do I stand out in this world of social media when there's so many other people doing what I'm doing? And then I realized that that was actually the wrong question to be asking because anytime I think that we're trying to stand out, excuse me, we are, again, losing sight of what makes us unique and why we started this thing. So instead of looking at how do we stand out for the crowd, like how do I showcase everything that I am and what I love and what I do. So kind of like you said, you know, showcasing your personality, your joy. And I always love, you know, if somebody's just starting out on social media, then I talk about creating just sort of like a social media foundation. So the same that you would on a website, for example, you know, you'd have pieces of an about you section. You'd have descriptions of what you do, how you help people, maybe testimonials, sharing your services, and then sprinkling in, you know, those unique bits of you throughout it. So your personality, you know, glimpses behind the scene, things that make you uniquely you. And I think coming at it from that space of instead kind of being like, how do I stand out? It's like, how do I be the most me that I could be and showcase that? And yeah, that's that's sort of my way that I teach people. We, so when Mike and I were able to come back to our house, mm-hmm. at, we get the the rescinding of the evacuation Mm -hmm. and but our cat was still missing Mm. so it was this really kind of restless night the first night and your nervous system has just gone absolutely haywire for the full week anyway and hadn't slept well and you know we're in this very unique bizarre scenario and I found that so George our cat Mm -hmm. eventually came home the next day I guess it was day two of being Mm -hmm. here we're overjoyed so excited and we take this family photo mm-hmm. that's blurry like my elbow takes up most of the screen of this photograph and i don't think we used any hashtags no filters nothing and we posted that just out of like letting people know more than anything mm-hmm. that photo got more engagement on our profile than anything we've ever posted before about an achievement or you know we've done ourselves up so we look a certain way or we've got a big guest on the podcast and maybe that profile will get us the attention. It was such a, the I, I cared less than I've ever cared in my life about yeah. engagement. And that was the thing that blew up online. Isn't that funny? It's so funny. And I mean, I don't know, you hear a lot about like engagement and, you know, figuring out the algorithm and trying to accommodate the algorithm. And the thing is, the algorithm is always changing. Like it's Mm. always changing based on who you're interacting with, who, you know, the people that you're interacting with are interacting with, how people are interacting with you. It's like an ever moving thing. So I think anybody who's trying to post, you know, for the algorithm, beat the algorithm. Exactly. I think. I don't know. I think it's a lost cause. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe an unpopular opinion. But again, it just goes to show when you're just showing up and being you. And, you know, social media has evolved a lot over the years. I started using Instagram back in, I think, 2011 when I was at the farmer's market to post 
um, my when jewelry. You snuck in. When I snuck in <laughs> and got my table. Um, back when, you know, there were cringy filters and all this thing or all that stuff. And it's really a relationship building tool. And I think, you know, that post that you just talked about mm-hmm. is speaking to that. It's the human to human piece of it. And especially when you're building a business, we've all heard, you know, that people do business with people that they know, like, and trust. And so that's how you build that. You know, I think it's important to showcase, you know, your authority and your um, your expertise and your skills and all that sort of thing. But I think the humanness of it all is Definitely. really the most important piece. There's often times in social media where some things get traction that you're not expecting. And sometimes I'll make a, a funny video for my band site. I'm like, okay, this is, I know this is, this is a good idea mm-hmm. and this is probably going to get maybe a couple hundred thousand views or something. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes you just make a post. Like once we posted um, a picture of, I'll have to hear what you called them, but they're those little cookies that uh, grandmas used to make. Mm -hmm. They're like chocolate haystacks, some people called them. Uh, My mother called them yum-yums. And that's the thing. Everyone has Mm -hmm. a different name for them. So I said, hey, what does everybody call these? (laughs) Yes. And it just, it actually went viral. There was like 17,000 comments on it. Like just... All over the world, people just saying what they called them. And we were getting, like, our social media grows significantly every yeah. time you create a post like that. But something like that, like, we had no idea mm-hmm. that would happen. And that's just that's And just has fluke. nothing to do with music. Yeah, exactly. exactly. But, yeah, that that's 100% fluke. And the algorithm happened to be favoring us. But <laughs> we're not trying to crack it. But we inadvertently did for a moment, 100%. I guess. Yeah. So anything's possible. Totally. And I think that actually brings up a really important point of vanity metrics and people <laughs> yeah. who place so much value on, you know, a number of followers, for example. And so let's just use that, you know, example that you yeah. just gave. All these people, you know, you grew your following because you posted this thing about these, you know, haystack cookies or whatever. And, you know, how many of those people are genuinely your demographic. Do you know what I mean? So, you know, I could grow, you know, my following maybe by a ton, but are they actually people who are interested Mm -hmm. in what I do? Does that matter having all those people then? Converting them right after is the key, right? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yes. And so I guess the real question is, you know, how many of those people then choose to stick around afterwards and i don't know how that exactly is looking for your recipes yes exactly (laughs) all the bakers are now music fans yeah well another thing is people often give more validation to someone with the blue check mark as well and on facebook my band has like over ten thousand, and we we thought like oh yeah well we should be able to get one but it was just like a no-go and then we talked to some people like that person has like 8,000 less Mm -hmm. followers than us, but they have it. And then we found out you just, it's people paying for it. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's one high. And and you don't pay exactly to get the blue check mark. It's paying someone who has a connection who can weird, really likely get like, select like Brad Pitt's going to have a real blue check mark. He's he's not paying Mm -hmm. for it, but like someone in my state or your state would have to 
have some connection to get in there. It's like a bribe to get the, Cause, the check. Because I saw now, all these huh? other bands who were like, hey, I'm bigger than them or we're the same size or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they have a blue a blue check mark. And then uh, we were working with the publicist and they're like, yeah, if you pay this amount, we can get you one. I'm like, uh, nah. <laughs> totally. And I think yeah, that's the key right there is working with somebody, you know, in PR or something like that. Yeah. Because what they're doing is they're then going to create they're essentially going to create these publication opportunities for you. And that's what Instagram wants. So, you know, I think Ashley Marcuson was Mm -hmm. on your podcast and I think she has a blue check mark. I might be making this up, but regardless, she's an example of somebody who's been published in multiple publications. So, you know, Cosmopolitan magazine, newspapers over and over. So she would have credibility behind her to be able to get that blue check mark whereas you know i've you know been on some podcasts but i haven't been published in any big publications so mm-hmm. my chances you just wait till this lower. episode airs <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, exactly. i'll add this to my list yeah. um but yeah that's essentially what they'd be doing they'd be putting you you know seeking those publication opportunities yeah. to give you some weight behind it or maybe they just have an in and they're like we're gonna pay somebody yeah <laughs> to yeah. Give, them, give those yeah, not everyone's paying who do i slip them? the yes. envelope of cash to huh? totally yeah, yeah. Yeah, it just feels kind of icky to do I'll, it that way, in my opinion. I'll hook but... you up with the, okay. if you want. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so funny. I wanted to ask you, Sarah, I know that uh, wellness mm-hmm. is important to you. You have a background in meditation and breath work, which mm-hmm. I'd like to talk about as well. How much has that influenced your business that you're doing now or just your life in general? Yeah, um, it's very interwoven mm-hmm. into my business and just my life. In general, Um, as far as the meditation and breath work, I took a, you know, a facilitator training last year. Okay. And I really did it for more of a personal aspect, just learning about it myself to be able to support myself, my family. And so I don't offer anything like that business-wise, but sort of a tool that's in my tool belt that, you know, if a client needs that sort of support, Mm -hmm. I can sort of share that. But it's more just something that I can use for myself. As far as wellness and well-being sort of, you know, overall, I think it's really interwoven into all of our businesses. Because at the end of the day, if you are running on fumes, then that's how you're showing up in your business. And you just don't have the capacity to put yourself out there in the ways that you need to. And I've experienced that firsthand. And I'm sure you probably saw that maybe, you know, a couple of years ago. I had Mm -hmm. essentially a full blown nervous breakdown mental breakdown um and it was years in the making and it was just you know from a young age especially you know our generation we didn't learn how to express our emotions how to manage stress we many of us were just taught to shove it down and so that's what I did without even realizing that's what I was doing and you know being a mom of two little boys and trying to juggle business. And then when COVID happened and everybody was home all the time, all of a sudden, I didn't have any space for myself. I was trying to juggle this business that I had got up and running in January. So the business mentorship aspect had started in January and I was doing the online school thing. And, you know, my husband works full time, so he couldn't help with that aspect. And things escalated very quickly. And it got to a point where, yeah, my nervous system was just completely shot. And I was having, like, waking up every day with full-blown panic attacks, just uncom- uncontrollable physical anxiety. And looking back, I could see that the anxiety was there for 
years, but I didn't quite recognize it. I was very high functioning. You know, the more anxious I felt, the more I just tried to work and, you know, be a perfectionist and and outwork it and outperfect it, all these sorts of things. And so it was really a big wake up call. And it really caused me to stop everything. I couldn't work at the time. I could barely get out of bed in the morning. I couldn't even make my kids lunches or get them ready for school. Like my husband had to step up and do all that. And I had to start from square one of like building my health back up, focusing on sleep, focusing on nutrition, just fresh air, movement, and slowly but surely building my nervous system capacity back up. And that's when I realized that I could never let myself get to that point again. And so it was a blessing in some ways. I mean, I wouldn't wish it on anybody because it was incredibly scary. And it was a few months of really not being able to function. Um, But what it did is it really gave me a line, like helped me draw a line in the sand of being able to recognize when I'm getting anywhere close to that place. I mean, I'll never get that low again because Mm -hmm. that was, you know, rock bottom. But I can recognize now when I'm inching closer to burnout or, you know, adrenal fatigue, things like that. And knowing, okay, I need to pull some things back. I need to rein it in. And just being able to operate again from that place of capacity and energy versus running on fumes. And so, you know, when we are business owners, we get to decide our schedules and how much we're working. And sometimes, you know, work was an outlet for me. It was, you know, an escape during COVID and, you know, the more everybody was home and in my space, the more I'm like, well, I'm just going to go over here and work because like (laughs) it was my excuse to have time to myself. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes, you know, when it's things that we love doing, it's really hard to find that line between, you know, this is filling me up and now it's actually taking from me. And so I think that wellness piece is is everything at the end of the day. What are some things that you you found that worked for you in in becoming yourself again, feeling mm-hmm. better and getting to the point where you are now that you would recommend just for other people to do? Yeah, that's a really good question. So, I mean, those basic building blocks. And I worked with Ashley, Dr. Ashley at the time as well. And she really helped me put a plan in place. Yeah. She's awesome. And it was, again, just focusing on making sure you're getting like a ton of sleep and resting, slow, gentle movement, like walks, um, basic nutrition. Like, are you getting the nutrients and the fuel that your body needs? Hydrating. So really like the foundations of health. And then again, looking at your business and saying how, you know, what are the things that I love doing that fill me up? And for me, it was really doubling down on structuring my business in a way that supports the way that I want to live, but also the way that my energy works. So I'm not somebody who can work like a full day, day after day, back to back. I work really good in spurts here and there. And so I've created a business where You know, my jewelry, I'll create a whole batch of things when I'm inspired, I'll sell it. You know, when I'm getting low on those batches, I'll have a sale and then I'll get inspired again and I'll make a whole new batch of things. For my business mentorship, which is all service-based, I create things like group programs that help me leverage my time, um, package services. So I'm not charging by the hour. People are purchasing packages Mm -hmm. where we're working together. And those really allow me to generate that really healthy income without working 24-7 or 
back to back because I know that's just not how I operate. And I know you have an online course. Mm-hmm. Is that something where you've done all the work already and people just purchase it and they kind of can can do it on their own time? Yeah, I have a couple different online offerings. So I have a couple online courses that are set up like that. Yeah. They're pre-recorded. They'll walk you through either, you know, a series of um, modules or some of them are just a one-off workshop with resources that you can then print out or use for yourself. And then I also have something called the Heart-Based Business Community, and that's a monthly online membership for business owners. And we connect twice a month online. One of those calls, like Zoom calls, is like a mentorship and mastermind call. So where people can come on and we typically have a reflection question at the beginning, you know, one might be what's feeling really easy in your business right now and what's feeling really hard or you're feeling resistance to. And then we sort of share during the call, we're able to connect. And the purpose of that is really to connect with other business owners and see that you're not alone, you know, learn from other people's advice, experiences. And then the second call of the month is always a training call. So sometimes it's led by me on a particular topic. Sometimes I bring in an industry expert and train on a topic. And then along with that, you have access to the resource vault that's built up over the past three years with trainings and workshops on every aspect of business that you could imagine. What a great tool. My goodness. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for opening up and sharing your experience. I know COVID was, we all had a different outcome and experience during that time. You talked about looking back on some of the warning signs Mm. leading up to that point. What what were some of those for you that others might identify themselves now as a way to say, okay, stop doing that, or Mm -hmm. this is going down the wrong path? Yeah, that's a really good question. And some of the warning signs for me was really working from that frantic place. So feeling like I just couldn't rest, that I always had to be going and working on something and coming up with the next thing and putting myself out there. And I just couldn't sit still, couldn't rest. Um, And a lot of it was trying to escape that anxious energy in my body. And if I just, you know, kept myself busy enough, then I wouldn't focus on that exactly with the discomfort. Um, Some of it was feeling, you know, wanting to pull away from things that I had previously enjoyed. So, you know, I always enjoyed going out and meeting other entrepreneurs, but I just felt like I didn't have the energy for anything. Another piece was just wanting to be by myself as much as possible. And sometimes that meant like waking up at five o'clock in the morning so I could just have a couple hours to myself before everybody else woke up and then staying up way too late because I just felt overstimulated and exhausted by Mm -hmm. life outside of that. Um, Another one was just feeling really scattered and just not being able to have a clear idea of what I was doing or what I needed to work on and just feeling overwhelmed by everything. Um, So yeah, those were some of the main ones. And then there was, you know, physical things as well. There was you know, a lot of weight gain over a short number of years, no matter how much I exercised or ate well, because again, my body was just holding on to whatever it could. There was terrible sleep quality. Um, you know, my cycle and everything was messed up because my body was just trying yeah. to sort itself out. So, yeah. I find even after a week of us during this evacuation time, I've been really observant of what's been happening with my body. Mm-hmm. Be- having gone through similar moments in my yeah. life of what you're describing and taking a better inventory of just 
how things are feeling because I, I now am aware of what my baseline should be or has been. The sleep aspect, I think, is not talked about enough. The critical, like of, above all else, I noticed I noticed the inflammation in my body. Like, yeah, we like weight gain. Yeah, it was like almost a puffiness mm-hmm. I felt in, you know, even just being naked, like you could feel your body living in it different. And the first good night's sleep I had, I woke up and it was like I was a deflated balloon mm. just from that one peaceful, restful, like giving time my body time just to rebuild. And it's going to take longer to yeah. fully get back to where to what feels normal to me again. Mm. But that was just one week. Yeah. So I can only imagine you have this lead up time and then you're hit with COVID and then struggling with that for multiple months before mm-hmm. getting into a really proper re- recovery. Yeah. So do you feel now like you have kind of rebounded into a place that feels good and healthy again? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, within, I'd say, like three or four months following that rock bottom, I was able to rebuild because I just put my complete focus on it. And I was fortunate enough that I have you know, a partner and a husband who was able to fill that gap, both, you know, in our family responsibilities and also financially for me to be able to take that step back to Mm -hmm. rebuild. Um, But yeah, sleep is one thing you're right that we don't give enough credit to. And my husband has always said, like, sleep is the most important thing. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. But what's really interesting is I wear an aura ring. So yeah. um, you've probably heard of them. They I have, but you know, tell us your about it. Data. And so one of the best things is this readiness score that it gives you. And it's a readiness score, you know, based on your heart rate variability, um, your heart rate in general, your sleep, your activity. And what one of the number one things that I've noticed from it is when I'm not sleeping, my heart rate variability is really low. And that's essentially like your body's stress response your ability to sort of manage and bounce back from stress and my heart rate is really high and you know another thing that I've noticed is even if I have one drink it affects my sleep it affects my heart rate variability it affects my heart rate and so that's been huge and it's really encouraged me to prioritize sleep um, and make sure that that's like the number one focus. So with that information that you're getting Mm -hmm. from the ring Will that determine how you go about your day? Yeah, it does. So, for example, if I have a really low readiness score, so it'll give you recommendations too. It'll say, you know, your scores, let's say 70 out of 100. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll say take it easy today, you know, maybe don't do any strenuous activities. So maybe if I had a really hard workout planned, I would just go for a walk instead or, you know, do something a little bit low, low key and then make sure that I'm getting, you know, a good night's sleep that night. So it really has affected how I show up day to day. And I've had mine for, I guess, a year and a half now. My husband's had his aura ring for maybe like three years and we both love it, wear it. Like I wake up and I can't wait to see the data. And it does. It really helps direct how I'm spending my energy or, you know, showing up that day. Um, But in terms of sort of like bouncing back, and I like what you said, like you, you know what your baseline is now. What I've been able to do is just get really familiar with what that baseline is. And I know that Dr. Ashley talks a lot about, you know, our our burnout bank account and things like that. And I know the things that I need to do to show up and function 
the way that I need to. So I need to exercise regularly. I need daily walks. Sometimes they're an hour, sometimes they're 20 minutes. Um, that sleep, that nutrition. So for me, it's eating you know, blood sugar balancing meals to make sure that my energy is stable throughout the day. And just having that space for creativity and downtime and and all those sorts of things. Do you feel like you know your foundation, Mike? Uh it's hard to like on a good day. I know when I when I feel my best, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I don't know if the second I wake up I know. Like you kinda gotta ease into it and test some things Mm -hmm. out, maybe, but maybe an aura ring would be a good idea though. It's good to have that information about yourself. Yeah, no, I've looked into it before. Yeah, And, and you f- know the things, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but just because I'm your wife, like, I think you know the things that help bring you energy or that ground you, if that's what you need. Yeah. I think a, a big thing is, and something I want to do in the next little while, is look into, because we're always trying to figure out, okay, what, what's the best way to eat? And there's a million different mm-hmm. things out there, and... I think just finding out what foods don't agree with me, like, mm-hmm. and just never eat them ever again kind of thing. Yeah. Because there's things that you think might be good for you that can be causing inflammation or something. And uh, I know naturopaths can get some type of blood test done that can really check out the mm-hmm. the finer details there. And yeah, I, I would like to do that to really, really hone in on that. Yeah. And I think, again, that's another area where there's so much out there that it's really yeah. hard to figure out what's best for you. And I actually did that through Dr. Ashley yep. was the DNA test. Oh, so cool. they swab your mouth and then send it away. And then you get this, you know, 20 or 40 page report. Back. Don't eat eggs. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I actually didn't have a lot yeah. of things on mine to avoid, but it just yeah. sort of helped. Um, yeah. Reinforce some of the things that we had been working on together and. Yeah, blood sugar is a thing you're going to continue to hear more and more about. There's a mm-hmm. lot of science that's coming out, you know, and even certain tools. So, you know, people wearing um, those glucose or glucose monitors, yeah. even if they don't have diabetes, yeah. to measure their blood sugar and just seeing, you know, how their body reacts to blood sugar spikes and all that sort of thing. So it's really interesting. I, I heard a stat recently that like 80% of the population is insulin resistant. Yeah. Which is incredibly high. Is that because there's so much sugar in basically everything we put in our bodies yeah. now? Yeah. Like yeah. You, you're eating something and you think it there's no sugar in it. But if you eat a sandwich, like there's sugar in bread. The like bread, the meat, mm-hmm. the condiments. Yeah. Like, yeah. A really good resource to follow for that. And I maybe we're going off into love. <laughs> No, we always go off in left yeah. field. Um, Glucose Goddess on Instagram. Okay. And so it's not, what she shares is it's not about not eating, you know, carbs or these sugary things, but it's how you're pairing your food. So, for example, if you are pairing, you know, bread with a protein and a fat, it's less likely to spike your blood sugar. If you eat a salad first, then what it does is it actually breaks down in your stomach. It creates essentially like a mesh so mm-hmm. that... Glucose doesn't get absorbed as quickly into your bloodstream. That helps your blood sugar not spike. And I mean, we've all heard of like those sugar crashes. They're real and we've probably experienced them. They're a real thing. And so over time, if again, you're having all these spikes, and again, this is just from my own research. I am obviously not a medical (laughs) professional. Um, But yeah, that's what causes insulin resistance over time is that 
those spikes. Okay. Yeah, over and over and over again. Have you ever experimented with fasting at all? I have. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it's for me. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I I definitely know that I need like something really stable. I have the same smoothie every morning that I've had for the past like three years, and it's just really high in protein and fiber and healthy fats, and that yeah. just keeps me yeah you know what stable. Works. Yeah. And I imagine it's harder. Like, we are only a house of two. You're mm-hmm. a house of four. Yeah. And it's hard to make four separate meals for four separate body types and palates. And like, Mike and I have often, because we like to just experiment. Like, yeah. let's just see what, what happens here. Yeah. So we've done keto and mm-hmm. low carb and vegan and more to curiosity than anything. But yeah. I think now having gone through all that experimentation where we've really landed is our bodies like you're a six foot four, 200 pound man and I'm not. Yeah. And we have. Yeah, we have cycles. Our hormones Mm -hmm. work differently. And so it's been we've had to really kind of land on you do you. Mm -hmm. We'll still do our best come mealtime not to have to create extra work for ourselves. But you might be eating lentils and I might be eating sweet potato as our side to right. our meat or whatever yeah. you're kind of in the mood for. Or at different times of the day, I wake up earlier. Mm-hmm. Mike stays up later. Like you have to pay attention to that, your own rhythm, I suppose. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's funny how different men's bodies are and, you know, react to certain things versus women's bodies. And mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's just it, you know, having your foundation, but then, you know, having these options here and there where you can do what you need to do and you can do what you need to do. Yeah. And how important is mustard to you? <laughs> <laughs> Everything. Um, yeah, I love mustard. Favorite brand. Pickles. Let's go through it. Give us some oh, mustard advice here. I mean, I just love the basic, like, yellow okay. mustard. Yeah. I always joke if I'm having, like, a hot dog or a hamburger, I'm having, like, mustard with a little bit of a little hot bit of hot dog on top. A lot of onions, too. I okay. love onions. And just Anything. mustard? No competition? No. Okay. No competition. Yeah. Do not give me ketchup. I don't want it. <laughs> and coming from uh, parents own an ice cream store, what's your favorite ice cream? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I love a rocky road. I'm a, I'm a yeah. chocolate person. Classic. So, yeah, yes. Give me anything chocolate. We yeah. haven't done the favorite ice cream question before. No. What's yours? Do you have one? Uh... I, I like sea salt caramel, mm. um, but I don't know if I have like a particular brand or or one that exists that is my very one favorite. Mm-hmm. Like, if it's like vanilla based with caramel flavors in there, it's it's pretty good. We both tend yeah. to lean towards the ice creams that have as many ingredients as possible listed on the box. Hundred <laughs> percent. I was just gonna say. I'm a more is more person, so yeah, yeah. like I don't want just a plain <laughs> scoop of vanilla or even chocolate. Like I want it with all the toppings yes. and all the things. Throw in some it. brownies and nuts yeah. and caramel ribbon in there. Totally. And yes. There's yeah. a place in Wolfville that uh, what's the name of it? Noggins maybe, and they've got a little farm market and ice mm-hmm. cream place, and they've got a hundred different flavors to choose from with the waffle cones. Oh, yeah. And it's like, mm. you know, the $1.99 and it's seven scoops yes. high. So that's, I'm going to shout out that ice cream place yeah. on our on our drive home. Yeah. We some, My dad's in the valley. Oh, nice. So if we're making that trip, that's usually our, our ice a cream stop. stop. And Dee Dee's Ice Cream downtown is really, yeah. they're a beautiful yeah. small business who do lots of wonderful things. And they create these cool hybrid flavors and uh, yeah. um, creativity in all forms. Yes. Yeah. Well, truly an honor to have you on here, Sarah, and some amazing information and 
Yeah, I I think that you're doing a very valuable thing to help out people out there kind of navigate this world that can be very confusing and you're an amazing resource for for people who need need that little bit of guidance and where can people find you? We'll we'll include it all in the show links here, but the show notes, but um what's your website? Yeah. So you can find me at sarahkelly.ca on Instagram, and that's my website too. No H on Sarah, just Sarah. Yes, Kelly. that's a good <laughs> point to make. <laughs> um, and yeah, I just want to say thank you for having me on. I was really honored and flattered when you reached out, and I think that you are both doing amazing things too. And I think this is such a wonderful outlet, and I can just tell that you really enjoy it. So thank oh, you, thank so you. Much. Yeah, so you've much. been someone. We've been admiring for from afar for a while, so it was really nice to get to meet you Thank in you. person finally. Yes. Yeah. Oh, so good to meet in person. And so nice to do this in person. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Agreed. Well, thanks well. for tuning in, everyone, and check out Sarah's work and uh, keep coming back every Wednesday. Cheers, folks. The introduction, folks. <sighs> is it your favorite part? Well, just saying introduction is... That's what I meant. Fun. That's yeah. what I meant. Your favorite part is getting to say that word. Yeah. The, the the chat with Sarah was my favorite part, obviously. Of course. And she's awesome and yeah, just a very, very nice presence in general. She gave me some personal advice and tips after we shut the mics yeah. off about my grand opening of the art gallery this yeah. Friday too, which was very helpful. A, a perfect hybrid of business advice and creative heartfelt advice so yeah. i will definitely be applying that to so the big day why don't you tell people about the big day so togetherland art gallery is opening this friday at noon in the united church in ingramport it's at uh 7628. Remember, Philadelphia 76ers mm-hmm. and Cristiano Ronaldo's So Mike number. uses two sports references, neither of which I knew in the first place. So it just feels like more information <laughs> yeah, to remember. So 7628 St. Margaret's Bay Road yeah. is the address. I've got tons of social media I'm trying to push out there. Two things I want to say about opening day for the gallery. First... The whole concept of Togetherland was for it to feel less like a traditional art gallery might. In my experience, some of the galleries I've been in feel really quiet and almost pretentious. Like, I don't think we're supposed to talk in here. I've always had the vision of creating a gallery space where people could come in and there's music playing and maybe you get to make something yourself while you're there. Maybe I'm live painting. Uh, I hope to have live music. You'll be playing there on opening day. 24-7 party. It's just a party, hands down. All out. But there's just more to it. Uh, And we've got some programming coming up later in the summer that's going to be a lot of fun. But this concept really came to life and on brand through our experience having evacuated and living there for the week I just not in a million years thought I'd be able to open on the 9th of June like I had planned all along because we couldn't even get inside of our house but I made some posts on social media we even talked to people at the comfort centers who encouraged us that not only should you open this is the exact kind of thing that the community needs right Mm now and this whole flurry of togetherness happened for us where people have just been raising their hand volunteering to our friend Sarah Cresswell's making a sign for us we've got uh, 
interior designer who I've never met who is coming in to help make the bathroom space, which currently looks like a dungeon, Mm. come to life. Like there's just been this outpouring of support. And so I can't wait to open it up and just have it be open. And we'll see see what happens from there. June 9th, 12 to 7. It's going to be a party, like you said. Non-stop. Don't get your hopes up if you're expecting a rave or something, but... I'm going to turn it into a rave okay. when I'm playing. Mike will be there raving. Yeah. <laughs> Putting some uh, MDMA in all the drinks and going to town. Okay, well, I think we better shut her down now, folks. But uh, <laughs> we'd love to see you this Friday if you're able to make it. And our hours will be posted daily on my social media, Kristen Harrington Art throughout the summer and into the fall and we're just gonna roll with it and see what happens okay folks thanks for tuning in and there will not be mdma in any drinks there but uh yeah it's gonna be an awesome time and we're really proud of you Kristen, for bringing all this together it's gonna be a uh, gonna be amazing thank you all right folks we'll see you next week